This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. We welcome you this morning to our Sunday worship service from Ocean Lakes Family Campground in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The sermon subject today is the Valley of Adolescence. Reverend Lawton will be continuing today a series of messages on the general subject of personal growth. Today's focus is on that very difficult in-between period in the life of a young person who is no longer a child but is not yet a fully functioning adult. Oh, what an important time this is in the life of every person. And the Bible has much to teach us about this. We'll be looking again at King David's life. This Old Testament account is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Whatever our age may be, we all have room for growth. And we pray that God will speak to our hearts in this message as we continue to grow in Him. James Dobson has described that period in our pilgrimage of life, which we call adolescence, as a time of indigestion, heartburn, and trauma. It is hard to tell for whom this audience of adolescence is most difficult, whether it's the adolescent himself or herself who's going through the emotional, physical, and relational upheavals as they move out of childhood, or whether it's more painful for the parents who suddenly realize that their child is not a baby any longer. Parents see now that their child is going to have to venture out into the world and face challenges of life unaccompanied by them. And so Dobson concludes that adolescence is a time of life that offers something painful for everybody. This is correct. Every stage of life has its own adjustments but perhaps adolescence represents that period of life which has the most intense problems that we face. This is why it is so important that adolescence not slip up on us. What I said recently regarding childhood in a previous sermon is equally true with adolescence. Ignorance is not an asset. It is a liability. What we do not know does hurt us, and our Christian faith surely has something to help us to get through every difficult time in our life, including this very difficult transitional period that we call adolescence. I think it's important that we understand what we're talking about when we use the term adolescence. This does not refer to the awakening of sexual powers and awareness. The technical term for that is puberty. Adolescence, on the other hand, is that in-between stage when one is no longer a child, completely dependent on others for sustaining life, having all the playful privileges of childhood. At the same time, this person is not yet a fully functioning adult. The adolescent is still dependent on others for support is still under others' control in many respects. And so we're talking about that trying in-between stage 
the time between the dependency of childhood and the independency, or more accurately, the interdependency of adulthood. This is that terrible time when one is big enough to drive a car, but not old enough to get a driver's license. The period of adolescence has varied in length in different cultures. In primitive tribes, there was no adolescent period at all. One day, a boy would be playing around the village, and then that night, he would be sent out on a hunt. If he survived, the next day he would be considered a part of the adult community. There was no in-between period at all. In our own civilization, however, things are quite different. We have devised the longest adolescent period in history. Although it is usually shorter, yet there are times when adolescence can last up to 10, 15, or even 20 years in some cases. I have known students in the seminary and graduate school who were fully mature physically, but who were still under the economic dependence of their parents to put them through school. In terms of power, dependence, and the ability to make their own decisions, these people were not completely free. And so to this degree, they were still somewhat adolescent. The problem then with adolescence is essentially this. How do we take the kind of relationship that has been appropriate for a parent and a child, where there has been provision and dependency, and how do we transform that relationship into one that is appropriate between adults? How do we change a relationship from being over, under, to alongside? How do you stretch a former relationship which has properly existed from the day of birth to a new dimension now, yet without breaking that relationship. This is the challenge which is faced by everyone who is involved in this time of adolescence, parents and children alike. The different people involved in this challenge have to assume different tasks. For the parent, the task is in learning how to give the adolescent some breathing room without letting go of the person altogether. It is a difficult task that parent has to step back from an absolute supervision of life without walking away from the adolescent completely. What the adolescent needs most is the chance to do some things which were once done by the parent to begin to make some decisions on their own. This is very difficult sometimes for overly protective parents to realize that the time has now come to begin making this trans transition. A teenager once said, my mother hovers over me like a helicopter. I am 15 years old, but if I'm in the basement and if I sneeze, my mother's and mother's up in the attic and hears me sneeze, she turns into a long distance runner. Next thing I know, she's standing by my side, panting with a Kleenex in her hand saying, are you catching a cold, dear? Here, some vitamin C. Don't you think you'd better lie down and get some rest now? The adolescent deeply resents that kind of hovering. But what the adolescent doesn't realize 
is that there was a time in his life when that kind of attentiveness was absolutely crucial to his survival. How does a parent learn to shift gears and stop doing what at one time in the child's life was so absolutely essential and now begin to give that same child more freedom and independence? At this point, a measure of distance becomes essential. Not total distance, but an increasing measure of distance. To step back, but not walk out on the relationship completely. That's the happy medium that parents must strive for. Now, what about the adolescent? For the adolescent, the problem is similar, yet different in some respects. Your challenge as an adolescent is to pick up what your parents have laid down to begin to assume some of the responsibilities that your parents have gradually handed over to you and to learn to walk in the larger world without walking away from your foundations. This involves something I was talking about recently in a previous sermon, learning who you really are, what your gifts and powers are, learning how the world works out there. It means learning to walk with courage out there by yourself and yet not walking away from your sources that have been your foundations. And so the challenges of adolescence then are twofold. For the parents, it is learning how to step back without walking out on a relationship, how to let up without letting go. For the adolescent, it is learning how to pick up what is laid down to walk out into the world without walking away from the wisdom that has brought you into existence. Oh, what a difficult challenge this is. Nobody ever said it would be easy, and I'm sure that no family has ever handled this task perfectly in every respect. This is certainly not the case with our biblical example of David, the king of Israel. The situation could have been handled much better there, but we can learn even from a negative example. And so, let's turn now to the scripture once again and see how what I've just said applies to David's situation. The 17th chapter of 1 Samuel is a classic example of the adolescent crisis. As a young man comes out of childhood and begins to do the things I've just talked about, David is obviously strong enough and big enough to carry much responsibility at this point in his life, but he is still under the authority of his father. He is at that terrible in-between stage, no longer playing in the sandpile, but rather he is now out in the fields tending sheep. Three of David's brothers had enlisted with Saul to fight the Philistines. So one day Jesse says to his son, David, I want you to go up there where your older brothers are fighting the Philistines, take them some food, and bring me back word on how things are going. And so David sets out on a mission under the direction of his father. But when David got to the place of battle, he was absolutely astonished to find the forces of Israel shaking with fear. He goes there with all kinds of adolescent idealism. But then he sees to his dismay 
the great king whom he had so much admired, King Saul, filled with terror and fear, as were his older brothers and all the army of the Hebrews. Why all this? Well, you remember perhaps, across the way, there's this huge mountain of a man, sort of a combination of a $6 million man, the Incredible Hulk, and Superman all rolled into one. This fellow, named Goliath, came out from the other side every morning and every evening, and he challenged any Hebrew to come out and do battle on a one-to-one -one basis. He said, send out your best man. We will do the fighting, just the two of us, and we'll settle it without involving all the armies. Well, to David's absolute dismay, there was nobody on the Hebrew side to take up that challenge. There was a time when King Saul would have risen to such an occasion with relish, but now King Saul's courage had left him. His sense of security was gone, and therefore he was no longer capable of answering that kind of challenge for his people. And so here comes young David, fresh in from the fields, with all the typical idealism of most adolescents, when he sees what is happening, he is outraged. And he says, the hosts of Israel must not be like this. I will go and fight Goliath. Now we might observe parenthetically here that this is one of the great contributions which our young adolescents can make to life. They haven't been everywhere. They haven't done everything. They are not so fatigued and jaded by the problems of life that they no longer think there's anything that can be done. They don't spend time asking why. They ask rather, why not? They're willing to throw themselves into the battle. And if it were not for this adolescent idealism, it's highly likely that our society might run down and so here comes David saying, I will do what all of you older folks feel like has become an impossible task. Now, nobody in the Hebrew camp has been making that kind of offer <laughs> for several days. And so the word quickly got back to King Saul that there was somebody who was willing to take up Goliath's challenge. Saul said to his informants, well, what are you standing there for? Send me that man Send him to me as quick as possible. And when young David walks in, you have exactly what happens when a parent figure sees a child come of age, but they can't believe the little child who used to be playing with toys has suddenly emerged into adulthood. We parents in our sentimentality often like to freeze our children at the baby stage. We just can't believe they have grown up. And Saul's first reaction on seeing David was surprise. Perhaps Saul had known David as a child, and now he couldn't believe that one who such a short time ago was playing around underfoot was now making man noises and saying that he could go out and do something that even Saul himself was afraid to do. But David said what we've all heard our children say time and time again, look, I'm not a baby anymore. Why, I've been out there in the fields where I've had to fight lions and bears. I do have adult strengths and powers. And so finally, David convinced Saul that the time had indeed come 
when he could do more than Saul thought he could do. When it became obvious that David could handle this kind of assignment in fighting Goliath, then Saul did what parents so often do. They when they realize that their children are about to go out there and fight the world by themselves, we try to dress them up in our own armor. We give them crash courses on the birds and the bees. We tell them all the things we feel like we've never gotten around to tell them before. And when Saul realized that David was serious about his offer, he called for his own armor, Saul's armor, the things that had been found to meet the needs of his particular time. And so he dressed young David up in this. <laughs> it must have been a comical sight, to say the least. Saul was reputedly a very large man, standing head and shoulders above the average Hebrew. And there's no indication in the Bible that David was that tall. I can imagine David couldn't even move, much less fight, clanking around and all that stuff that was made for another person. Some of you parents may understand by experience the feelings of one father whose son came to him and announced, Dad, I want to go out on a date. The father exclaimed, All by yourself? The boy said, No, sir, with a girl. <laughs> Then immediately this parent's mind went back to the time when he had his first date. He began to worry. What will they do when they run out of things to say to each other? And if you're that parent, you probably think up all those silly questions like, what is your favorite color? What's your favorite record? What's your favorite food? Your favorite musical group? So forth. The problem is that when parents try to give their children adult armor, things that were good for handling a situation in another time, another era, then the parents are told right off what David had to let Saul know. Everybody has to find their own armor for themselves. Everybody has to go out and fight their own battles with the kind of instruments that they have developed out of their own uniqueness. You see, we can give our children certain foundations, traditions, and insights that we have found to have helped us but we cannot come to conclusions for them. We cannot do their believing for them. We cannot paste our convictions on their foreheads. When the Bible talks about training up a child in the way he should go, this means the directing of a child, giving him a feel for life. It is not our saying, here, I'm going to photocopy the things that have worked for me. You take them just like I did and they'll do exactly the same for you. Oh no. The truth is that life moves on. It is not a treadmill. The era in which my son is going to have to fight his battles is different from the era in which I had to fight my own adolescent battles. He's going to have to make his own slingshot and rocks rather than use exactly the same kind of armor I have put together for my needs. To realize this, to let them go, and to aid them in the forming of their own weapons is a most crucial task for the parents of adolescents. Khalil Gibran, writing in his book, The Prophet, says to parents about children in these words, you may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. 
you may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bow from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loved the, loves the arrow that flies, so he loves the bow that is stable. Wise words from Gibran. The bending of ourselves so that we can send our children out, not with our armor, but with the slingshots and rocks of their own choosing. This is the great challenge of parenthood. And the great challenge of the adolescent is to do his homework well. He is to go deep within himself and discover the gifts that are there. And then with fear and trembling for us all to go out to do battle with the Goliaths of life using the beliefs and wisdom received from the past, but to do it in his own way and in his own style. And so it was that in that crucial, that crisis moment, Saul was willing to take back his armor and to trust young David, though he didn't understand him. Surely there was tremendous tension and anxiety all around as David, with that which he had chosen, ventured out to meet Goliath. Taking with him the foundations of the past, David walked into the future. He did not walk completely away from what he had been given as he obviously had taken the faith of his father and had made it his own faith. King Saul, David's brothers, and all the army of the Israelites as they watched young David go forth that day to fight Goliath Oh, how their hearts must have almost stopped. To see your children walk into the future that you don't understand, armed with a slingshot they have devised, takes a tremendous amount of courage to step back, to let them go, and give them the freedom to fight their own Goliaths. But in spite of all this fear and anxiety, there's no way around this valley of adolescence. If we don't let our children go, if we keep the ties, then our children remain emotional cripples all their lives. If they're not given the opportunity to pick up the principles laid down for them, then they can never become the fully functioning adults that God intended them to be. Yes, this involves great anxiety and trauma for everybody, all concerned. But if we don't take the risks, then we never set the stage for the development of the kind of person that we later see in King David's life. I want to conclude the message this morning by sharing with you two letters or two statements which seem to me to be excellent summaries of what I've been saying this morning. The first of these is written by Alan Payton in relationship to his own son. These are his words. I see my son wearing long trousers. I tremble at this. I see he goes forward confidently. He does not know fully his own gentleness. So go forward, eager and reverent child. 
See here, I begin to take my hands away from you. I shall see you walk carelessly on the edge of the precipice. But if you wish, you shall hear no word come out of me. My whole soul will be sick with apprehension, but I shall not disobey you. Life sees you coming. She sees you come with assurance toward her. She lies in wait for you. She cannot but hurt you. Yet go forward. Go forward. I hold the bandages and the ointment ready. And if you would go elsewhere and lie alone with your wounds, I shall not intrude upon you. If you would seek the help of some other person, I will not come forcing myself upon you. If you should fall into sin, innocent one, that is the way of this pilgrimage. Struggle against it, not for one fraction of a moment concede its dominion. It will occasion you grief and sorrow. It will torment you, but hate not God, nor turn from Him in shame or self-reproach. God has seen many such and his compassion is as great as his creation. Be tempted and fall and return. Return and be tempted and fall a thousand times and a thousand, even to a thousand thousands. For out of this tribulation, there comes a peace deep in the soul and surer than any dream. Those words from Alan Payton. The other letter I want to share with you is one that was first given to me by a friend of mine whose name was Harold Bergen. This was written by a parent to a son. This is the letter. This is the most important letter I have ever written to you, my son, and I hope you will take it as seriously as it is intended. I have given a great amount of thought and prayer to the matter I want to convey to you, and I believe I'm right in what I've decided to do. My son, for the past several years, you and I have been involved in a painful tug of war. You've been struggling to free yourself from my values and my wishes for your life. At the same time, I have been trying to hold you to what we both know is right. Even at the risk of nagging, I have been saying to you, Go to church, choose the right friends, make good grades in school, live the Christian life, prepare wisely for your future, and so forth. Son, I'm sure you have gotten tired of this urging and this warning, but I have wanted only the best for you. This was the only way that I knew to keep you from making some of the same mistakes so many others have made. However, I have thought all this over during this last month, and I believe that my job as your parent is now about finished. Since the day you came into our home, I have done my best to do what was right for you. I have not always been successful. I have made mistakes, and I have failed in many ways. Someday you will understand how difficult it is to be a good parent, and perhaps then you will understand me better than you do now. But there is one area, son, where I have never wavered. I have loved you with everything that is within me. There's no way to convey to you the depth of my love for you through these years. 
and that affection is as great today as it has ever been. It will continue to be there in the future, although our relationship will change from this moment. As of now, you are free. You may reject God or accept Him as you choose. Ultimately, you'll answer to Him only anyway. You may marry whomever you wish without protest from me. You may attend any college of your selection. You may fail or succeed in each of life's responsibilities. The umbilical cord is now broken. I'm not saying these things out of bitterness or anger. I still care very much what happens to you, and I am concerned for your welfare. My dear son, I will pray for you daily, and if you come to me for advice, I will offer my opinion, but the responsibility now shifts from my, sho my shoulders to yours. You are a man now, and you're entitled to make your own decisions regardless of the consequences. Throughout your life, I have tried to build a foundation of values which would prepare you for this moment of manhood and independence. That time has come, and my record is in the books. I have confidence in you, my son. You are gifted and have been blessed in so many ways. I do believe God will lead you and guide your footsteps, and I am optimistic about your future. Regardless of the outcome, though, I will always have a special tenderness in my heart for my beloved son. The stage of adolescence does bring pain to everybody involved. James Dobson is right when he says that it is a time of indigestion, heartburn, and trauma, but it can be dealt with successfully. Yes, you can go through the valley of adolescence and on to the light on the other side. Let us not forget, though, that in order to do so, everybody involved faces a challenge. For the parents, it means learning to let up without letting go, to step back without walking out on the relationship. For the adolescent, it means learning to pick up what is being laid down and to walk forward without walking away from the wisdom that can come from parents. May God give us all courage, like David of long ago, to face this challenge and then claiming the promise of Scripture that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me to grow into the kind of persons our Lord would have us all to be. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, give us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen.